Oh, I'm just so, so grateful for the gift of worship. Come on, wherever you are, if you're at a watch party at a campus or maybe you're somewhere else, pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. The Bible says that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, thank you for what you are doing in our church these days. Father, thank you that we get to gather at least once a week on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, and celebrate you. Father, would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us today? Would you bless every single person who is engaged in this worship experience today? Father, would you give them the desires of their heart? Would your goodness permeate every single area of their lives? And would they use those lives, Father God, to give you all the glory and all the honor? We love you today and we thank you for the gift of worship and we pray it all together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thank you for being with us today. We have an amazing word coming up, but before we even get to that, let me just tell you about a couple of things. This coming Sunday, October 4th, I am beginning a brand new series titled Living in the Age of Rage. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where everybody is mad, everybody is screaming, everybody is barking their opinions, and no one is doing it in a way that gives honor to God, or at least not many. And I'm suggesting, I'm praying that God will use this series to, to raise up a people called New Hope to live in the midst of cities burning down, unfortunately, around our country, looting taking place, partisan politics where people are yelling at each other and everybody is just trying to get their own agenda through. I'm challenging us in October to run after the Word of God and to figure out how do we live in this polemical, hostile age of rage and we do so as a peaceable people called the Church of Jesus Christ. It kicks off a week from today, Sunday, October 4th, and I hope you will join me. I've been out of pocket for a while, so I'm really excited to come back teaching the Word of God. Hey, I know you've already heard about it, but don't miss the following Wednesday, October 7th, we are having our first Wednesday Worship and Word. This is a movement-wide worship celebration. All the campuses are going to descend on Durham, and we will worship God with passion and His Word, Wednesday, October 7th. Hey, today, grab your Bibles, grab your apps on your phone, whatever the case may be, lean in because we have a word today from our teaching pastor, Tiana Spencer. And she takes us right to John chapter four. It's a familiar passage. You've probably heard of it. It is where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. And the great thing Tiana does is she introduces us to this different image of Jesus that I believe we all too often neglect because here's the deal, church. Jesus was and Jesus is a rebel with a cause. And when you lock in to following him, he will lead you into places and lead you into doing things that you never thought you would do, but you'll do it for the cause of Christ and his kingdom. Hey, be blessed today. May God's word speak to you powerfully as we hear from him today. 
Hello, church. Welcome to service today. My name is Tiana Spencer, and I'm so glad you decided to join us. Today, we're going to be in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Have you ever watched one of those shows where you are rooting for the bad guy? You know, like you, you shouldn't be, but you just, you are, you're just rooting for the guy who's doing all the things that he shouldn't be doing. Uh, one of my favorite guys, bad guys to root for was a character named Jack Bauer from a show called 24. If you haven't watched 24, you need to go uh, stream it. But either way, it, 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 he worked for this um, secret branch of the government called the CTU, which is a counter-terrorist unit. And so they would actively hear about terrorist threats in the United States and they would find ways to neutralize the threat, okay? And so now as you're watching the show, you you know the threat, right? We as the viewers, we're informed of the threat. You know the danger that will occur if the threat isn't neutralized. But a lot of the times in these cases, they're so highly confidential that not everyone in the, the terrorist unit is actually privy to all the information. And so sometimes Jack has to go rogue even from his own people. Right. He, 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 he becomes what we call a rebel. And so he's doing things secretively because there's either a mole in the office or something like that. So he can't let them know what he's doing. And so because of that, because I but because I know what he's up against, I, of course, I'm rooting for him. Right. I am rooting for him, even though I know he's breaking the rules. I'm rooting for him, even though what he's doing is considered to be some uh, unacceptable or even illegal. Sometimes I'm still rooting for him. I'm rooting for the rebel. So much so that I find myself on the edge of my couch, sometimes like a mad woman screaming, Jack, kill him. Jack, blow up the building. I know that lady looks like an old woman, but she's dangerous. Take her out. Like, I'm screaming crazy stuff, me and my husband, because we're just rooting for this rebel. Right? We're rooting for him. I find myself on the edge of my seat saying, keep breaking the laws. Keep doing it. Keep going against the status quo. I'm rooting for whatever he's doing, however he has to do it. Why? Because I know Jack is not just a rebel. He's a rebel with a cause. He's a rebel with a cause. You see, what I know to be about Jack Bauer is that he's a good man. He he he's, he's, uh, loves his country. He'll do whatever he has to do to save his country. He'll, he'll do it to his dying brother. So I'm rooting for the rebel because I know he isn't just a rebel. He's a rebel with a cause, a cause that will save millions of people's lives. And so I root for him. Because when you understand the reason, you understand the rebel. When you understand the reason you understand the rebel, Jack Bauer reminds me of Jesus in this way. Y'all, Jesus was a rebel. Now, he wasn't killing people and blowing up buildings, but if you don't think Jesus was a rebel, you're reading the wrong Bible. He was totally a rebel in every sense of the word. He, what he came to do was go against the societal rules and the cultural regulations and the religious, the religious establishment of his day. He was a rebel, but he wasn't just a rebel. Jesus was a rebel with a cause. He was a rebel with a cause. He always had a reason. Do you know what most of the time his reason for rebelling was? It was us. 
he rebelled for his children. We were the beneficiaries of his rebellion. He did it for us. We see an example of this in the story of the Samaritan woman. Here we see Jesus rebelling against what is socially acceptable, right? He's talking to a woman he shouldn't be talking to. He's asking her things he shouldn't be asking her. And he's staying in places that he should not be staying in. Why? Three three reasons why I see Jesus rebelling in this story. He's rebelling, one, so that she can be saved. He's rebelling against the culture so that she can be known. And he is rebelling so that ultimately she can be saved. This is why he's rebelling. So I want to look at the story of the rebellion of Jesus and this beautiful cause and effect it has of this woman's life because I believe it has the same cause and effect on ours. He rebels for us. He rebels so she could be seen. He rebelled so she could be known and he rebelled so that she could be saved. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it never uh, returns void. So God, would you speak a word to your children? You are a rebellious God and we are the beneficiaries of that rebellion. God, would you speak? Your children are listening in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first reason Jesus rebelled in this story. He rebelled so that she could be seen. I'm going to read this one more time. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of brown Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for Jews not associated with Samaritans? Jesus was on a long journey. He was tired. He was thirsty. This woman typically would not be even coming to the well at this time of day, right? That's what commentators say. She would, if it was too hot, she wouldn't be coming to the well at this time of day. And culturally speaking, she wouldn't have been coming alone more than likely. She would have had some other women with her. And so we see from the very beginning that God had set up this divine encounter between her and Jesus. Neither of them normally would have been in this place, but God had set this up. And so Jesus meets her with one simple question when he meets her. He meets her with one simple question. He says, will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? You guys, now, it's a simple question, but I need you to understand how big this is. They don't talk. Jews and Samaritans did not talk. Jews hated Samaritans. And so when Jesus is asking this question, he is actually rebelling against his own people and everything that they stand for. This one simple question, he is rebelling in this moment by talking to this woman. And as he turns his back on the cultural norms of the day, he simultaneously turns his heart toward the spiritual needs of his daughter. He sacrifices the cultural norms for his daughter's spiritual needs. You see, this question was not just an act of rebellion. This question was an act of restoration. It was an act of restoration. You guys, he did not need her in this moment. He did not need her to get this water. He's God. If he was that thirsty, a brother could have got his own water. Amen. And all the women in the living rooms across America say, amen. He could have got his own water. He didn't need her, but he wanted her. He wanted her in this moment. He he, he was using this water to pursue her. With this one question, he was saying, I know who you are, and I'm still asking you for a drink. With this one question, he's saying, I know who you are, and I'm still pursuing you. He's saying, uh, with this one question, he broke the barrier. And he's saying, I know who you are, and I don't care. You can still engage with me. You can still engage with me. He is seeing her for who she really was. Not a disgrace, but a daughter. Not a disgrace, but a daughter. He is seeing her when no Jew would see a Samaritan woman. He was actually seeing her. But I want you to listen to her, how she responded. She says, 
I am a Samaritan woman. How are you asking me for a drink? In other words, she's saying, how are you pursuing me? I'm a Samaritan woman. How are you seeing me? How are you expecting and desire or desiring anything of me? You see, culturally, she knew they didn't have nothing to do with each other. There should be a separation between them. And so this is confusing to her. She doesn't know who he is at this point. All she knows is that he's not following the status quo. He ain't doing what everybody else do. He's not treating me how the rest of society treats me. He's not treating me how other Jews sees me. He's seeing her. The problem is she couldn't see herself. She couldn't see herself. And so she's stuck right there, not moving towards his gracious invitation, but paralyzed by the feelings of how she should be disqualified from. She's stuck right there, not, not, not moving towards his gracious invitation. She is paralyzed by feeling like, I, sh- I don't deserve this. I should be disqualified from this. How are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. I'm a Samaritan woman. And maybe you, are, some of you are there right now. You are stuck on all the reasons why you should not be able to move towards the gracious invitation of Jesus. You, you're saying things like, God, how, how are you inviting me? I'm a mess. God, do you know what I've done? God, do you know where I've been? God, do you know who I've slept with? God, do you know what I've smoked and what I've drank? How are you inviting me? How are you interested in me? I've done too much. God, how? How? And if you are asking those questions, I'm here to tell you today that you're asking the wrong questions. You see, you only get stuck on the how if you don't understand the who. You only get stuck on the how if you don't understand the who. Look at what Jesus says in verse 10. Jesus answered her. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Listen to what Jesus is saying, my God. He's saying, if you only knew. Bless you. He's saying, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift of God that was in front of you, if you you only knew the presence and the the mercy and the grace of God that is in front of you right now, if you only knew who it was that is asking you for a drink, you would be asking me different questions right now. You'd be asking me different questions. You wouldn't be asking me how am I talking to you because you would know that I came for you. If you knew me, if you knew you know I came for you. If you knew me, you would know I didn't come just for the Jew. I came for you. I didn't, I didn't come just for the perfect person. I came for you. I didn't come for the one that has it all together. I came for you. If you knew me, you'd be asking me different questions. You would not be asking me uh, 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 why, how am I talking to you? You would be asking me to give you what you knew I came to give you. Ask me for living water. Ask me for living water. Ask me for living water. Jesus is essentially saying, he's saying, if you knew me, you'd be asking me. It's almost like he's begging her, ask me for this. If you knew, you'd be asking me. Ask me for life. Ask me, this is what I came to do. This is what I'm all about. You guys, she had no clue who was right in front of her. She had no clue who was asking her for a drink. Her hope was asking her for a drink. My God. Her her peace was asking her for a drink. Her deliverance was asking her for a drink. And had she known that, her questions would have completely changed. Had she known who was in front of her, she would have understood his character. She would have understood that he's not like everyone else. He's different. He sees past all the other stuff. He doesn't, he doesn't judge, he's not like that. He's not like everyone else. If she'd have known the who, she wouldn't even have asked the how. 
Listen, some of you guys are asking the wrong questions today. And I know that, that, that some have put labels on you and some of you have put labels on yourself. I know that you feel disqualified from the gracious invitation of God and you are sitting there saying, no, no, I just don't believe in God. No, I don't, I don't understand. I'm too, I've done too much. But hear me say to you today that God does not see you as a disgrace, but as his daughter. You are not a disappointment. You are his son. And I know it is a hard thing for us to grasp because people have made you feel worthless. People have made you feel like you can't come back. People have made you feel like you're too far gone. But you need to know that just like the text says, we serve a rebellious God that says, I don't care what people say. I want you. I don't care what, what you've done before. I want you. I don't care even how you branded yourself. I don't want you. I want you. I don't care what they've said about you, how they tried to toss you. I want you. Please hear me say to you today that you are seen right now where you're at right there in your mess, right there in your sin. You are seen, you are wanted, you are pursued. He sees you. He sees you. And it's time for you to stop worrying about how you should be disqualified from it and just receive it. Receive the sight of the Father. Receive his eyes on you and his full acceptance of you. Stop talking yourself out of something Christ died to bring you into. The grace is for you. The grace is for you. We all messed up, boo. The grace is for all of us. We don't have to have it all together. To ex He just says, come. Christ is saying, I see you right where you are. I'm still pursuing you. Ask me to give you what I came to give you. Ask me to give you life because he wants to, he rebelled, so she could know she was seen. You're seen, beloved. Listen, the second reason he rebelled, we see in this text, is so that she could be known. He rebelled so she could be known. Verse 11 says, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I'm gonna stop right there. I want you to listen to what's happening. He's talking about living water. And she's trying to figure out how's he going to get it because the well's too deep. Okay. He, he's saying that whoever drinks his water will never thirst again, but it will lead to eternal life. And she's trying to figure out, well, can I get that? Because I'm tired of walking all the way over here anyway. She is totally missing it. They're missing each other completely. She's trying to solve her earthly need and Jesus is trying to solve her eternal need. She's missing it. Jesus is trying to point her to something deeper and she, she said so that she can see it, but all she can see is what's right in front of her. He's trying to go deeper. All she can see is what's right in front of her. But what I love about Jesus is that he won't let her stay there. He gets right to the heart of the issue. Look at verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. She had five husbands. Five husbands are now living with a sixth man in sin. Now, just by knowing that part of her story, you have to assume that she is a woman of heartache. 
right? You don't have five ex-husbands without having some kind of pain. That's just that that comes with the territory of having five ex-husbands. Commentators now, they don't know if she was widowed or divorced, but most lean towards she she more than likely was an adulterer, which means she lived a life trying to find love in all the wrong places. She lived a life trying to find peace in all the wrong places, trying to find hope in all the wrong places. And even without all the details of her life, we can gather that this woman was uh, had a complicated story, probably one riddled with pain and insecurity and low self-worth. She's, think about her like a human. She had to be carrying some stuff. And yet here she is coming to get water. She's coming to get water because life still has to go on, right? Right? I mean, she has to get water in order to live. So she she can't stop taking care of business just because she's in pain. And in fact, she may not even realize that she's in pain because she's so used to being about her business. And here we see Jesus, so not being content with just letting her go about her normal business. No, he knows too much about her. He, he knows too much of her story. So he says, I don't want to just talk about the water. Tell me about your husband. Tell me about your, tell me about your pain, Jesus is saying. He said, I can sit here and answer questions about this water all day long. I, I can do that all day, but, but tell me what's kept you leaping from relationship to relationship. Tell me where it hurts. Tell me. Tell me where it hurts. You see, what he's saying is he's saying, daughter, I see you. Not only do I, not only do I, not only do I see you, but I know you. I know you. <laughs> and, I, and he's saying, I, I'm not the kind of God that, that stays above the surface. No, I came for the stuff below the surface. So let's get to the root of the issue. Tell me about your husband. Tell me about him. And maybe some of you are just like this woman. Going about life, doing the mundane things that serve you well because they keep your attention off the hurting things. You're living life just trying to be normal, right? Just trying to be normal, you know, but you know you're dying on the inside. Uh, but you have to keep moving, right? You have to get the water. You have to go to work. You have to, you have to, you have to go and, and, and pay the bills. You have to take care of the kids. And, and God is trying to just for one second get you to pay attention to what's really going on. You're hurting. You're hurting. That's what's really happening. You're hurting. And just like with this lady, he's trying to get you to sit still long enough to hear the truth that you don't just need water, you need healing. You don't need water, you need healing. He's trying to get you to say, you don't need the job. You need healing. He said, you don't, you don't need the relationship. You don't need the marriage. You need healing. You, you don't need this pandemic to be over. I know you, you feel like if that happened, all your prayers will be answered. No, you need healing. This is what God is saying to us right now. The question is, will you stop busying yourself with the things of life long enough to get it? You see, because here's the deal. We're not hiding. He knows. He knows. And the, the beauty about God is that our, 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 our brokenness is welcome with him. It is welcome with him. And I know that is so hard to understand because we are used to being rejected when our humanity shows up in relationships, right? We are used to being rejected. You see, man tells us that I know too much about you, so I'm leaving you where you are. But you see, God rebels against the very notion of that and says, nah, I know too much about you to let you stay where you are. 
He rebels against it. He's different. Is that about, I'm not leaving you where you are. No, I know too much. I know, because I know your sin, because I know your pain, because I know your hurts, I love you too much to let you stay where you are. This is why he's so persistent. This is why that same pain keeps resurfacing over and over. Why that same situation keeps resurfacing over and over and over again. I've said this before, that God does not surface him to shame us, but to heal us. He surfaces him to heal us. Why? Because not only does he know the brokenness that hinders you, but he knows the wholeness that awaits you. He knows the wholeness that awaits you. It ain't just about your brokenness. There's something better on the other side. He knows the wholeness. And y'all, I've told uh, my story before, but I've been walking with the Lord for 22 years, growing spiritually and everything, but it wasn't until the last seven years of my life that God began to uncover things, as he began to surface things, and I began to have to deal with those things. And it has been painful. Especially over the course of you, let me tell you, dealing with this stuff is painful. So I'm not even saying this is this is hard. To feel all the feelings is hard. I had talked to a friend a few years ago. I remember saying to her, I feel like every bone in my body has been broken for 20-something years, but someone finally took away my pain medication and I feel everything. I'm just hurting. I'm just hurting every moment of every day and it was seasons of this of this healing process that was just painful but here's the thing i've learned i've learned that being aware of your brokenness is painful but being in denial of it is deadly being aware of your brokenness yes it is painful but being in denial of it is deadly it'll kill everything around you and some of you know what i'm talking about you know that your brokenness is slowly killing everything around you. Dreams, purpose, relationships, everything. Everything is killing. You need to understand, you guys, we don't want to feel the pain, but feeling can lead to healing. That's what does God surfaces. We feel these things. And if you've done it the right way, it can lead to healing. And I've experienced that even in my own life. And I know that God wants the same for you. That's why this keeps coming up over and over again. He wants the same for you. He's saying, daughter, son, you don't need water. You need healing. Whatever that thing is, you don't need that. You need healing. You don't need the storm to be over. You need to deal with what it's bringing up. You need healing. No more numbing. No more, no more letting these, the, the, everything's everyday life not, not get to the surface of what's really going on. Jesus rebelled so that she would know, I know you. He's saying, I know you. He's not like everybody else. He's not like her. He sees us and he knows us and then he welcomes us. Your brokenness is welcome with Jesus. Listen, the last thing we see, the last reason he rebelled was so that she could be saved. He rebelled so that she could be saved. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Well, here's part of the story where we see that Christ finally reveals himself to her. 
And as soon as he does, she leaves her water pot and she runs into town wondering, could this be the Messiah? They heard about him. Could this be him? Is he actually here? Could, could this act, is this the one we've been waiting for? Could this be the Messiah? She leaves his presence, not convinced, but considering, could this be him? She's, not, she's considering, could this be him? Now, now, after she's gone, the cultural and the logical thing uh, for Jesus to do would be just to move on, right? The Samaritans are gone. They out of our business. This is how Jews felt towards Samaritans. They out of our business. Culturally, it's move on. We're done with that. But he didn't do that. No, he rebels against what would logically or even culturally make sense. He did the exact opposite. He was there when she returned. Just waiting for her. There, when she returned, he waited for her to come back. And when culture would tell him to move on, he said, no. He was there when she returned, there to listen to, listen to her and on all the other people. He waited for her. He waited for a curious Samaritan to bring back more curious Samaritans because he wanted them saved. When you think about Jesus, in humanity, you could have been offended like, well, you, you know, you, you didn't stop and just worship me right then and there. You didn't believe, you're, you're saying, could this be the Messiah? But he wasn't offended by, by her curiosity or by her considering. He, he waited for her. He waited for a curious Samaritan to bring back more curious Samaritans because he wanted them saved. Can I just talk to the curious people today? I know we don't often address, but I feel like I need to talk to the curious people today. I want to talk to the people who have heard everything I've said up until this point, and maybe you're still not sure about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life, and, and you're still just considering. You haven't let him let be Lord over your life. You're still unsure. Can I just say to you that that's okay? That that's okay. Uh, he'll wait on you. He'll wait on you. Now, I can't guarantee how long you have on this earth before your time is up. That is a gamble that you were taking. But I know that while you have breath in your body, he will wait on you. He waited on me. He's a patient God. I ran for a long time and he waited. You see, I, may, I know you may not hear this a lot in church, but you need to know that um, it's okay to have your doubts. It's okay to be curious. It's okay to say, could this be the Messiah? Could this Jesus thing be real? It's okay. Because even this, you see this, they had their doubts. They had their, their curiosity. You see, but what I love about them is what they did with their curiosity. Look at verse 39. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. You see what they did with their curiosity. Some believe right away, but the other ones, they, they came and they stayed two days. It's two days. This is what they did with their curiosity. They didn't just stay on the sidelines questioning if the man is who he said he was. No, they went straight to him. They got in his face. They, they, they sat at his feet. They listened to everything he had to say. They studied his every word and his action. They spent time with him. That's what they did with their curiosity. Could this be the Messiah? They went all in and they watched as Jesus proved to be everything that he said he would be. You see, they came considering, but they left convinced. They left convinced 
And because of that, the end game of Jesus was complete and they were saved. They believed in him. You need to know that that is his end game for your life. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but that is his end game for your life, that you would come to a, 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 a believing in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that you would be saved. That's what he wants. Not just that so you would know that you're seen, not just that so you would know that you're known, but so that you would be saved. So that you would come into relationship with him, that you would begin to have an intimate relationship with him, so that you would begin to spend time with him and you begin to know his heart towards you and vice versa. That's what he wants. That's his end game for your life. But listen, wherever you are on your faith journey, let me just say, let me just say, wherever you are, whether you're ready or not, whether you're still curious or not, whether you're still considering, let me just say that if he waited on a Samaritan woman, he'll wait on you. And if he proved himself to a whole Samaritan town, he can prove himself to you. The question is, will you position yourself to actually see all that he is? Will you position yourself to actually begin to know him? Will you position yourself to, so he can prove himself to be who he said he would be? Or will you just keep being curious from the sidelines? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Church, he's good. He's good. And he's waiting. Y'all, we serve a rebellious God. He sees those who no one else may want to see. He knows those who, who no one else may care to know. And he saves those who no one else may think is worth saving. I don't care what you think you've done. You are seen, known, and pursued by the God of heaven. May you have the courage and the bravery to respond. Let's pray. God, I am. Um, I thank you. God, I thank you that you are a God who rebels. You are not like other people. God, our brokenness is welcome with you. God, our questions are welcome with you. God, our, our pain is welcome with you, Lord. So God, I pray that you remind every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, that they are seen. God, I pray that you would give them the, the courage to respond to your gracious invitation, not questioning it, not, not uh, talking themselves out of it, but just to respond to the fact that they are seen and that you want them, God. And then, God, I pray for those who are dealing with these pains, who's dealing with these hurts that are undercover. God, I pray that you would continue to surface until they surrender. God, continue to surface until they surrender. God, even though it is painful, God, I pray that you would go after them. Just like the song, Your Reckless Love, God, that you would tear down walls, that you would tear down lies, whatever you have to do to go after them so they would know that, know that they are known and loved by you. And then, God, I pray for those who are sitting here curious, who are just not sure about giving their whole life over to you. God, I pray that they would lean in that they would taste and see that you are so good, that you are so worthy, that you are so faithful. God, I pray that you would show them, show them your love, show them your grace and show them your mercy. You are good. You are a faithful God. Give us the courage to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.